Hello. And welcome to another episode of Saturday, Saturday the, the 14th. 14th. This is Maggie. And I'm Maddie. And we are here today to talk to you about the most upsetting movie I've ever seen in my entire life. I wonder if it is the most upsetting movie I've ever seen. I feel like Life is Beautiful is more upsetting. Yeah, and I guess, well, I saw Life is Beautiful when I was really young, and I was like having a, not a good time for most of it, but he's such a likable character, and then he just gets like, spoilers, super shot to death. Yeah. You know? Um, I mean, it's a World War II movie. I, I know. Like everyone knows what's going to happen. But I was like eight, so I didn't know what was going to happen. But I will say that Hereditary, <laughs> which is the movie that we're talking about this yes, week. Yes, this is a Hereditary week. Is probably the movie I've had like one of the strongest visceral reactions to. Oh, absolutely. And like yeah. emotional reactions to. Yeah, it's funny because, um, I mean, I, I recommend this to everyone who likes horror. I love this, like conceptually i love this movie yeah i'd say watch it but like watch it once yeah i found myself like leading up to like rewatching this in order to like write about it for this week like i didn't really want to watch it again and that's weird because it, it's a great movie like it's, it's really well done. done um and luckily it's free if you have amazon prime right now yes, yeah. so that's a bonus. So if you haven't watched it yet, pause this, and go, go watch, watch it, it, and then come back so you can hear all of our thoughts and also feel very disturbed. And if you're listening to this on some dark evening, um, maybe just wait until tomorrow morning and <laughs> watch it then, because I watched it and this never happens to me. I had the hardest time getting to sleep um, after I watched this because every closet door and like open door in my apartment, I was like, what's back there? Who's watching me? Are like, there creepy naked cultists is watching Is Tony you? Collette going to skitter across my ceiling tonight? <laughs> like, it really freaked me out. And that doesn't really happen that often to me. Yeah. Um, I just finished re-watching it, like, two hours ago. So uh, we'll see how I do tonight. I think it's really funny because I feel like a lot of movies either are, like, extreme graphic horror or sort of, like, an interesting slow build with, like, a lot of like characterization and this one starts off as a slow build and then by the end is just like the most insane shit I've ever seen in my entire like, life. Like the last 20 minutes are just so insane. Oh boy. Where just like you can't <laughs> stop. Like just there's non-stop like fucked up shit happening. Yeah it's it's very intense. Very very intense. Um, but we would definitely recommend it. I, I think it's a fantastically done movie and um, certainly for a directorial debut. Damn. Like holy shit. It's like camping. Because it's intense. I'm going to leave. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, That's just pun number one of the day. We'll see if I can get any more in. Let's just see how this goes. <laughs> you got to bring some humor to such a That's dark, true, sad, depressing it's a movie. That's very upsetting movie. And there are not a lot of light points. Um, so, yeah, Maggie, do you want to tell us a little bit more about this movie? You know, I would love to. This is a very new one. Um, as you probably know, this one came out last year, so it's a 2018 movie. Um, like we mentioned, it is the directorial debut of um, Ari Aster, who also wrote the script. Um, and it stars Tony Collette, Gabriel Byrne, Alex Wolf, Millie Shapiro, and Anne Dowd. It has a pretty small cast. It does. Millie Shapiro is really young in this, she and she is. is so good. So she was like 13, I guess, when they made the movie. I know she was 13 in the movie. I don't know how. Was yeah, she also she 13 is, when she, making I think it? she is actually 13 okay. or 14. Um, but she won a Tony of some nature, not like a traditional Tony, but some kind of Tony, because she was Matilda oh. in the, on like the Broadway Matilda show. So she's been acting for a long time. Yeah, yeah. She definitely has chops. Um, into it. Hopefully, less creepy in that one. But still yeah, kind of magical. Every like photo I've seen of her when she's not Charlie, she's like really like cute and looks like a normal like. 
preteen teen girl who like doesn't want to kill all of humanity or whatever yeah <laughs> she doesn't look prone to chopping the head off of a pigeon this movie was made for nine million dollars which is not very much for a modern movie that did no. as well as this one did i mean i think it was, wasn't it get out was made for like five million dollars something like that yeah something like that and that one did really well. This one also did really well. It did. It um, made like $80 million, $79 Yeah, million. better than the um, director expected because it was like a premiere at Sundance. Yeah. And like the opening weekend, it made like $50 million, something like that. Which is I was crazy. Um, I mean, the trailer, like we were talking about, the trailer was unbelievably good and didn't tell you anything about what was going to happen in the movie. No, there were just miniatures. There was Tony Collette looking real scared. There was some fire and it was called Hereditary and like a creepy little girl. Lots of that noise. I've never been so scared of that noise. Tim just, like, stood still in a bunch of doorways after we watched this movie for the rest of the evening and made that noise at me. And I legitimately yelled at him about it. I was like, don't do that right now. It's too scary. You're so lucky to have him as a fiance. <laughs> Only the best. It was so funny because he thought I was doing, like, the, oh, you're scaring me thing. And then he realized that I was, like, actually really creeped out. And he was like, oh, shit, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, meanwhile, boy. Paul, who uh, my boyfriend who saw it with us the first time, I started watching it yesterday. He got home. He's like, what are you watching? I was like, I'm watching Hereditary. And he said, why? Because <laughs> <laughs> he forgot that that was what we were doing this time around. Yeah. It is certainly one that you would never normally want to watch alone, like on your own. I only pick like the most messed up I movies know, to we watch by myself. About that. You got to stop doing that, girl. Yeah, I do. Um, and apparently I decided yesterday that Hereditary would be a good decision to watch by myself. Very fun. Very light. And then not he, at all. He did not. He chose disturbing. not to watch it with me again because he did not particularly like the movie. That's probably um, the right call. It's very. That, that's the thing is that like, it's not. And I'm sure this. You know, this varies from person to person. But like, I don't enjoy watching this movie. Like I, I really do like it, and there's a lot of stuff about it that I do enjoy. There's just so many parts that I'm like, oh god, I know what's gonna happen next. See, it's I kind like... of enjoyed it actually this time around okay. more than I expected to. Like, it's mm. not something I would actively seek out. It's not like. The Mummy, which I watch all the time. Right. Probably too much, honestly. Mm -hmm. But I would watch this movie again. Yeah. Again. Because it would be the second. I'll probably watch it more in my life, but I think uh, maybe once a year is my maximum. You know? It's just the ants, man. The ants God, get to me. The ants. But Oof, in order for you to all understand exactly what we're talking about, um, why don't we go ahead and get started with this synopsis? Yeah, so this starts out in a kind of interesting way. It starts out with an on-screen obituary for a woman named Ellen Lee, and it sort of talks... It's a normal obituary, but from it you get a couple pieces of information, which is that her daughter, she has a daughter named Annie who has a family, and then she had a son named Charles who is dead, and that her husband is also dead. And that's kind of it, but it kind of comes that's into pretty play basic. later. Yeah. yeah. After the obituary, we see this shot of this attic, which is the attic of the house of the family that we're going to meet momentarily. Um, and it is all full of miniatures. So it's like a bunch of these little, or I guess not the attic, but the upstairs studio. Um, and it's all full of like these little miniature houses um, and like a smaller version of the house that they're in. And it zooms in on um, one room. And then that becomes, like, the room that we're in. So that's, like, the son, Peter, his bedroom, and he's being woken up by his dad. And so this movie has, like, a lot of miniatures throughout the entire thing. Um, the mom, Annie, played by Toni Collette, she is actually a miniature artist. Right. And so on this day, they're all getting ready for the funeral um, of the grandmother of the family, um, so Ellen Lee. And 
the dad's going around and like wakes up the son, tells him to get ready and asks if Charlie slept in her bedroom last night. And Peter's like, how the hell do I know? And we find out that Charlie, who's the daughter played by Millie Shapiro, has been sleeping in the treehouse outside instead of like sleeping in her bed. Yeah. And so her dad goes outside and she's like, what are you doing? Like, it's freezing out here. You're going to like get pneumonia. And she's like, oh, that's okay. Like, she doesn't care. Um, Through this entire movie, like Charlie shows no emotion. Yeah. She has no emotional reactions to like anything. Yeah, not really. There's actually a line at some point. It's just kind of like a throwaway line, but it talks about how um, Charlie never cried as a baby and yeah. never cried as an adult. Like, she just never cries. Right. She's a very strange child. Yeah. For reasons we will discover. Yeah. And so um, they end up going to the funeral of um, Annie's very secretive mother, Ellen. Um, and Annie delivers a eulogy explaining that they didn't have a great relationship and that her mom was really private and that she actually feels weird even giving, like, a eulogy at all because of that and how she's surprised by how many people are there which like yeah so she doesn't know most of the other people at the funeral and there's like a really weird scene like charlie is drawing all this creepy shit like Like she draws her her grandmother in her coffin yeah it's really weird and like at the sort of like the viewing when people are going up to the um casket this woman like goes up and like rubs something on ellen's lips yep and then there's, like, this man who's, like, creepy smiling at Charlie the whole time. And then Charlie just, like, casually pulls, like, <laughs> a chocolate bar out of her pocket and starts eating it at this funeral. Yeah, and her dad's like, does that have nuts in it? Yeah, because Charlie's um, definitely allergic to nuts. Yeah, and they don't have the EpiPen on them. Which, I mean, I think a lot of this movie would just be solved, like, take an EpiPen with you places. Right, like, if you have a child who has, like, I'm not a parent. I don't know all the stresses that are involved yet. Um, maybe just always keep one in the car. Yeah, like, if your child could maybe eat something that would, like, kill them and they're 13 and they're going through that phase where they're, like, kind of independent but still don't know fully how to take care of themselves, like, and, I mean, the implication there is that she eats sometimes food that has nuts in it because he has to ask her to make sure that it doesn't have nuts in it. So, like, have the fucking EpiPen so your child doesn't die. Bad decisions made by movie parents. Insane. But so the night after, um, Charlie and her mom talk, and Charlie says that her grandmother wanted her be to be wanted her to be a boy. Yeah. And um, she actually also asks her mom, like, who is going to take care of me? And Annie is like, what do you mean? Of course, I'm going to take care of you. And then Charlie, being the creepy-ass child that she is, is like, yeah, but what about when you're dead? And Annie surprisingly rolls with it, kind of, in like a very my child is weird and I've had to answer this question a lot type of way where she's just like, well, you know, your dad and then there's Peter, but like, I'm not going to die anytime soon. And so she sort of just like rolls over and is kind of like weird and mopey. And that's when Annie mentions that, you know, like you can cry for your grandma if you want, like, you know, you were her favorite, like you don't need to hold this in. She loved you so much, like that kind of thing. She also here mentions that like when Charlie was a baby, like the grandmother always insisted on feeding her. Yeah. it like she wouldn't let um annie do the feeding because she just like cared about charlie so much yeah which is weird yeah it's all very weird and like charlie has all these little like figures that she's built all over her room so it's sort of like she has a little bit of an artistic side too where she's making these little figures like her mom makes little miniatures and then she makes these things but hers are a lot more messed up looking yeah they're all like sort of weird doll heads and shit on top of you know, like, bodies made out of you know the really creepy whatever. toys in Toy Story at the end. Yeah, it kind of reminds like me that. like that. Yeah, 
It, it is so like that. anyway, the next day or shortly after, um, Charlie's in school and she is like playing with a little figurine instead of taking her test. And the ch- teacher comes over and is like, "Hey, Charlie, are you done with your test?" And Charlie is like, "Nope, I'm almost done." She's like, "Great, then how about you save the toy until later?" Mm-hmm. And then like immediately after that conversation, a bird crashes into the window next yeah. to Charlie, and everybody freaks out. Yep. Charlie doesn't, though. Charlie just kind of sits there as if, like, yeah, that's normal. Yeah, she doesn't even look at it. But what she does do is later she goes outside, finds it in a bush, and chops the head off of it with a pair of scissors. Casual. Yeah, and puts it in, I guess, the front of her big orange sweater. Yeah, she always wears this giant oversized sweater. Yeah. Sweatshirt. Yeah. And so she's, like, standing there. Then she starts eating chocolate again, which is also gross because she just fucking chopped a bird's head off. And then, like, across the street... probably put it in the same pocket as... Because, like, those those jackets only have one pocket. Oh, God. That's so gross. And then, yeah, she um, looks and there's, like, a woman watching her from across the street. Yeah, and she waves at her, which is creepy. The woman waves. Charlie does not wave. Yeah, Charlie Charlie does not emote. No, she really doesn't. But then on that same day, um, there's a lecture in one of Peter's classes, and they're actually talking all about fate. Yeah, and they're like... I forget the story that they're talking about in this situation, but they're like, so is it more depressing or less depressing that, like, none of the people involved in this story have any control over... I think it's, like, supposed to be, like, a Shakespeare play or something. Yeah, I think so. They're like, is it more sad or less tragic? More tragic or less tragic that no one involved has any control over what's going to happen? And so, like, the conversation... They're, like, discussing that. And And I love this little piece of foreshadowing, too, that's in there, where they're talking about it. And as they're talking about it, a girl who sits in front of Peter just turns around and stares at him for, like, 15 seconds. full-on staring at her ass the entire time. And then he gets called on, and he doesn't know what's happening in the conversation because he's just been staring intently at her ass. Well, yes, that is true. um, (laughs) But it still felt like she was pointedly staring at him while there's a conversation about fate going on. Me like, oh, guess what, Peter? You have no control over anything that's going to happen in your life going forward. It's a bummer because he super does not. There's nothing he can do. And Peter's, like, the most likable, like, normal person in this goddamn family. Yeah, I feel like in any other family he would have been doing fine. Yeah. It's him and Steve who's the dad. Steve's kind of annoying, though. But he's just, like, trying to... I mean, he doesn't show that he cares about anyone ever. Like, he has, he's, like, really cold, and he has a lot of anger. And the only time where he shows that he, like, actually cares is when he gets angry at Tony like, Collette's character for, like not doing well by Peter. But doesn't we don't actually see him caring for Peter. We only see him getting mad at Annie. Yeah. So I have my own issues with Steve. I mean, I feel like he was a relatively normal guy, and it's just that, like, his wife won't tell him anything that's going on with her. Yeah. Like, they've just had, like, her very difficult mother living with her up until her death, and now their daughter is really weird. And, like... And other things start happening. Yeah. Which... Right, actually, soon after this, we find out that a week has passed since the funeral and the uh, grave has been desecrated and uh, Ellen's body is missing. Yeah, and he doesn't tell... So Steve is the one that gets the phone call because, like, his information, I guess, is on file. And he doesn't tell Annie that because he doesn't want to upset her. Um, So he tells her it's just a billing issue and she's like, okay, whatever. Um, And so she goes back up and she's working on her, um, like exhibition this exhibit yeah. that she's working on for she's a getting ready to show off her miniature artwork in a gallery yeah also is that a thing are there galleries of miniatures there's galleries of everything dude how there's almost definitely what some... does he do does he support them monetarily he's... because i don't think miniature artistry can afford yeah, that giant he's like house a psychiatrist apparently oh, i think sense. that he's a professor or something like that um according to ari astor he did like an ama and a bunch of other interviews and stuff like that apparently um he was her psychiatrist and that's how they met and then like when she stopped going to him they like continued to have a relationship 
So what? That, that adds like a whole other fucking layer to this shit. I know, and that doesn't, that's shit. not included at all. And I forget where it was that I read that, but like one of the sources that I read when I was reading about this, um, yeah, mentioned that as being like their backstory. So he, I mean, he has a lucrative career. They have a huge house. It is a beautiful house. So, but um, maybe don't date your psychiatrist. I mean, I think in this case, it's don't date your psychiatric patient because she's the one with all the, like, fucked up family stuff that causes them problems. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. She could have dated anybody and it still would have gone happened. Yeah. yeah. But in general, don't date. Um, There's very serious rules. <laughs> You're not supposed to do that. But anyway, uh, around the same time, Annie actually, like, for a second thinks she sees her mom in the workshop that she's, yeah, while that she's working. Yeah, that scene is creepy because it's the first time that anything supernatural at all happens. And it's maybe 20 minutes into the film or so. Yeah. And it is really, really creepy. And she turns it, – it's dark up there and she thinks she sees her in a corner. And then and she turns on the light and, and there's no nothing there. there. Yeah. Um, but is it actually something supernatural? Is it just, like, creepy shit? Who knows? Or like maybe she's just, she's like, grieving. it's her mind playing tricks on her. Yeah. So she decides that she's going to go to, like, a grief support group. Yeah. And um, at the support group, Annie kind of ends up word vomiting everywhere and getting a little, like, really into the details. Yeah. And we find out that, so her and her mom did not have a good relationship. Um, when Annie originally had Peter, she actually kept her mom completely away. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until she had Charlie that she let her mom back into her life. Yeah. And, and she talks a lot about her mom having DID, dissociative identity disorder, which is what, like, multiple personality disorder is called now. Um, that she had dementia later on that got, like, really out of hand and very difficult to deal with. And then a bunch of crazy yeah, shit about, like, apparently her, her father starved to death because he had psychotic depression mm -hmm. and, like, refused to eat. And then um, her brother had schizophrenia and hanged himself, and he was accusing their mom of putting people inside of him. Yeah. So, really a difficult family background. Like, yeah. no wonder... Uh, Annie has some um, issues. Exactly. And so she comes home and she doesn't tell her husband where she's been. He asks where she was and she's like, oh, I was in a movie. So this is when she kind of starts keeping shit from him, which I think is interesting because she talks about how secretive her mother was and then she starts doing the exact same thing with her family. Yeah. Like she doesn't tell any of her family members anything that's going on in her actual like interior, like internal world, you know? Yeah. And worth noting, um, Peter is pretty stereotypical teenage boy like oh yeah he, he wants to smoke pot in his bedroom or under the bleachers with his friends yeah. and stuff like stare at girls butts yeah and so he gets a text inviting him to a party and he's like hell yeah i want to go to this so he goes to his mom mm -hmm. it's like the next day or something yeah. like that and he's like hey um i think i'm gonna go to the school thing it's like a barbecue and she's like oh great does that mean you're not eating here and he, she's like no i'm gonna eat here and he's like great well are you gonna take your sister and he's like no why would i do that like does she even want to go and uh as it turns out, no, she doesn't, but Annie makes her go anyway. Yeah. So Annie forces Peter to take Charlie to this party with him. Yeah. And it sucks because, like, Charlie's not going to do well at, like, a high school party. She's the weirdest 13-year-old in the entire world. Also, like, he is, like, a junior or a senior in high school. Yeah, I think like he's supposed to be a junior he's because like he's taking junior, yeah. um, SAT prep courses, right. I mentioned. Mm -hmm. And she's clearly a freshman because they do mention that she's 13. Yeah. And, like... There's but no, she's, like, so childlike. Like, she still doodles and, like, plays with toys in class. Um, like she's I not, still doodle and play with toys in class, so... Yeah, but not to the point that the teacher has to come over and be like, do you want to put your toy away That's and true. do your test now? Like, she's just not not in the high school world at all, and Annie just ignores that because she doesn't want her around, basically. She wants her to, like, go be normal with the other kids, which is not... So at this party, um, the girl who's asked 
Peter was staring at. Yeah, the girl he has a little crush on. Yeah, um, comes over and starts talking to him. Well, he actually like goes over and starts talking to her. She's just sitting on the couch. Oh, you're right. You're and right. And he goes over and she's, he's like, "How's the party?" And she's like, "Why are you trying to find out if you should come or not?" And he's like, "Huh," and then just sort of stares at her. And then he's like, "I have really good weed." And she's like, "Okay, great, let's go smoke." <laughs> and so they go smoke. And Charlie's like, "Where are you going? Can I come with?" And he's like, "No, you stay out here." And he's like, "Look, they're giving out cake over there. You should go get some cake." And she's like, oh, "Well, it's not for me." He's like, "No, it's for everyone. It's a party. Everyone gets cake." Yeah. So um, he goes to smoke with his friends, and she goes and she gets some cake, and she starts eating it, and then she starts kind of like coughing, and it turns out that the cake has nuts in it. Of course, which is like the first thing you see when they enter the party, too, yeah. is you see them chopping up the nuts. So like the second that you walk in, you're like, oh, fuck. Like, what is going to happen here? And Charlie's really weird about it, too. She like doesn't – it's that same thing where like throughout the movie, she doesn't seem concerned with her own well-being at all. Like she just sits there for a really long time and like coughs and makes yeah. like wheezy noises, and it's – really honestly sad because all these other kids are around and no one even notices that like anything is wrong with her and so she has to walk into the other room and she goes and she says like hey peter and he's like what's wrong and she's like i think my throat's getting bigger yeah and he's like oh fuck and so they get in the car and again this is the whole thing like if you kept an epipen in the car this would not have happened it would have been okay yeah um but he's driving, and he's driving, like, fast. Mm-hmm. Um, he is trying to get her to the hospital as quickly as possible. And she's got, possible. like, her head out of the back window because she's trying to, like, yeah. get Yeah, and air. this is the first time you ever actually see her actively doing anything because before she puts her head out the window, she's, like, squirming in the back seat and, like, clawing at her throat like because she just can't breathe. And then she puts her head out the window and uh, to get, just get air. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder if it's, like, a, one of those automatic things. It's like you can not uh, yeah, care so. about getting hypothermia. You can not care about eating something that's going to cause you problems. But once they start happening, your body is just like, no, we can't do this. You know? Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, I was thinking that too. Yeah. But then um, as Peter's driving, he sees a deer in the middle of the road. Yeah. And so he swerves to to not hit the deer. And his sister's head smacks into a telephone pole and she is decapitated. Yeah. And he just sits there. This is honestly, I think... There are parts of Pete Wolf's acting, not Pete Wolf, there are part of Alex Wolf's acting in this movie that I think are like a little bit overdone or a little, but like his acting in this scene is like really, really upsetting and so good because he just sits there and he's like hyperventilating and there's this part where he just goes, are you okay? Really quietly. I thought you just said like, you're okay. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And he, there's also like the camera, it's supposed to be like his eyes. They start to like look to the rear view mirror and then like steps back straight ahead. Like he doesn't want to see what's back there because he knows. And so, yeah, he says something like, you're okay. And then just drives home, parks the car and goes to bed and doesn't say anything. And there are a lot of like criticisms that I've heard about that part of it. And like, what's, he's so fucked up. Like, how would you ever do that? But like, this is the worst thing that has ever happened to him. And it's his fault. So, like, I can understand, not that I think it's, like, the right thing to do, but, like, how do you knock on your parents' door and say, like, this is what just happened in the car. Like, she's dead, and, like, it's because I went to a party and I wasn't watching her, and then I was smoking weed, and then I was driving. Like, how would you even begin to try to express that? So he just goes to bed and lies down. Yeah, and he doesn't go to sleep. We actually just see him, like, lay there with his eyes open, like, not doing anything. And the next morning, we actually hear, like, still while watching him, um, like, through the door, Annie's saying, like, oh, I need to go to the store for more balsa wood. And she goes downstairs, and she just starts screaming. Yeah. And we later see her, like, crying on the floor, screaming, like, I wish I were dead. I wish Mm -hmm. I were dead. And she's just, like, screaming at the funeral, just screaming and crying. It's really heartbreaking. It really is. And this is actually, um, watching this in the theaters was just, like, this was a shock 
Yeah, because the marketing for the movie, they made it all about, like, the mother, the grandmother's death is what this whole movie was supposed to be about, like, this family and how they deal with this grandmother's yeah. death. And the daughter's featured heavily in the marketing for this movie, and so I think everyone watching this movie just was like, what the fuck? Yeah. I certainly was. I was like, wait. I think, like, my mouth was literally, like, open. Like, even the whole, because the whole scene where she's, like, dying, like, where she's, like, trying to get the breath, I was like, well, but, like, she's, like, the major part of this movie she's like the creepy child the creepy child always like is the main villain yep. right so like she's gonna live and then just bam nope. dead and so uh we also get to see a shot of her head just on the ground next to the telephone pole being like covered, covered in, in ants. ants it's so gross we were talking about this right before we started recording um and we were kind of wondering like how long that shot actually is because it's like probably 10 seconds long it's, it's not, not even 10 time. seconds it's probably like three seconds it feels so long because it's just this kind of slow zoom in and it's like the most upsetting thing you could see because it's like it's a very well done prop and like what's more upsetting than a 13 year old child's decapitated head on the side of the road covered in ants like that's that's it <laughs> that's it that's the most upsetting thing i can imagine okay, I'm, i take back what i said earlier this might be the most upsetting movie I've right seen. like yeah. so tensions in the house after this get insane like obviously it's very difficult to deal with like a death of a child anyway and then when like the person who is responsible for is that is your other house. child that's like i was almost surprised that nothing like happened negative because he was driving while like high and all that yeah i mean that's kind of hard to test for that's true and also uh i'm sure they didn't want to like press charges against their own son or anything yeah. like that but i was just surprised i was almost surprised that like there were no repercussions i guess i just feel like there's so many like the whole situation is like he was trying to get her to safety. That's true. And then and he had to break because there was roadkill. And there was something in front of his car that he yeah. would have hit. And, and it was really fascinating. And this is kind of skipping ahead a little bit. Mm -hmm. But her death, I read, like in, from an AMA with Ari Aster, was actually also orchestrated by the cultist yes. members. Like Everything. They set it up entirely. Yeah. And so he had no choice. it actually wasn't even an accidental death. It was something that was done. Like he was forced into that position. Yeah. Oh, we haven't mentioned the clucking at all clucking oh yeah we mentioned it in the trailer um that's a tick that charlie has throughout the movie is that she'll just like that's like the only thing she does really yeah she'll kind of like look at something like tilt her head and like it's super creepy yeah so after all of this crazy shit starts happening like he just kind of starts hearing it every now yeah, everyone actually kind of everyone just does, occasionally like, will hear this noise but yeah, peter like, just hears it occasionally um i think other points throughout the movie it's heard as well, but I think it follows Peter a little bit more than anyone else. Yeah, and, like, Annie hears it when she's driving at one point, and it, like, really freaks her out. That was a really good jump scare, actually. Yeah. She's just driving along, she's, like, at a stoplight or something, or, like, driving down the street, and you hear it. And, like, I remember when we watched it in the theaters, everyone jumped. Yeah. And, like, gasped. She started sleeping out in the treehouse where Charlie used to sleep when she was still alive. Um, Peter actually hears that little, like noise while he's at school and he goes to like smoke weed with his friends in the bleachers and he starts having like a panic attack and he actually says like i think my throat's getting bigger yeah which is the same thing that charlie had said and uh annie starts actually goes back to the support group but she is sitting in her car and like wants to go in but doesn't and a woman approaches the car and um says like hey are you coming in like what's up and she's like no sorry like i'm not gonna come in and so this woman joan like 
introduces herself and says like she remembered when Annie first came and was talking about her mom and she's like actually I'm here because my daughter recently died she was only 13 and Joan's like oh my son died and his son died yeah that's the creepy thing is that this is another thing that sort of the first time you watch it you just kind of go with it she's like my son and my grandson drowned yeah which is like a really weird way for two people to die at the same time that's true like and the grandson was only seven years old yeah and so um Joan doesn't pressure Annie to come in, but gives her her phone number Mm -hmm. to contact her if she just wants to have someone who, like, just doesn't want to be so lonely. Yeah, and she takes her up on it, because instead of talking to anyone in her family, or her husband... She talks to this random stranger she meets in a parking lot. Which is, this is kind of why I feel for Steve, because this insane thing has happened, and it's also happened to him. Like, it's not just Annie's daughter that died, it's also his daughter, and it's his son that he, like he says, like, now he has to protect from, like all of this horrible shit that he's going through as well. And Annie just fucking checks out and doesn't talk to anyone in the family. That's true. Doesn't like, is not there for him in any way and takes all of her problems and opens up to this total fucking stranger. Yeah. But she goes over and she talks to Joan and she notices on the way in that she has like this um, doormat that's really similar to the ones that her mother used to make, that Ellen used to make. Yeah. And she's like, oh, that's interesting. She just sort of moves on past it. Like Joan kind of brushes it off. Um, Yeah. While they're at Joan's place, um, Joan asks Annie a question, like, how's your relationship with your son? And Annie actually tells a story in which she was sleepwalking and how she used to sleepwalk a ton. She hasn't really done it recently. But one time she woke up and she had doused her daughter and her son herself all in um, paint thinner. And she had a match in her hand. And she woke up to this because her son started screaming. Yeah. And he did not believe that it wasn't on purpose. He just completely believed that she wanted to kill them. And so mm-hmm. their relationship has been kind of shitty ever since. Yeah. Which like, I'd be kind of messed up if I saw that. If this I woke up another, to that. This brings me back to another reason I feel bad for Steve. This is just shit he has to deal with. Like he has kids with this lady and That's just true. like their whole life is fucking bonkers yep. and so at that point I would be really frustrated with her too Wait, now that so she's why like, is he still with her at this point I don't I mean I guess he believed her that she was sleepwalking and she like I guess she, it hasn't happened since I think she says that she got help for it or something like that but like it obviously hasn't Just, yeah I realize this is probably not like the healthiest relationship yeah and so now all this crazy shit starts happening and of course he's not like sympathetic because like oh here we go again that's a good point like yeah. you know it kind of comes to a head like all of this tension at a dinner where it's just like the three of them sitting around they're eating and like they're trying to make normal conversation like Steve is really trying to just be like how's your day going what's going on at school and like Annie makes this like ugh, noise or something like that to something that Peter says and Peter's like do you want to say something to me like just say what it, whatever it is that you want to yeah, say and then she says like he always sneers at her and she doesn't want to say anything yeah and, like, he gets upset and he like curses he's like just like what what's your fucking issue or something i don't and remember exactly what he says loses it she's like don't you ever swear at me like i'm your mother like you don't even understand like she and she addresses the fact that like i know what happened to you is bad like i know that it was terrible and you miss charlie and you're really sorry about it and i know that it wasn't your fault but like it still happened and you actually never apologized yeah. for it and she's like no one in this family ever fucking takes responsibility for their actions and like I can't move on and I can't forgive you because you won't like admit to what you did like and because he- like as much as I know that you didn't do this on purpose you did do this yeah and he's like well why was she at the party with me like she wouldn't even have been there if you hadn't like forced her to go with me and that point Steve's just like okay we're we're done with this conversation yeah like, let's chill the fuck out yeah and Steve kind of has to step in and be like okay let's not do this now yeah. Um, 
But anyway, like a couple days later or sometime later, Annie has to go to the store to pick up some more balsa wood and stuff for her miniatures because she is still working on it to get this gallery. She's got an extension and everything. And they're really behind. The gallery keeps calling her and she's like completely ignoring them for the most part. And they're like, we're really sorry about what happened. So she's working on this still. And the creepy thing, like something that Steve notices, kind of walks in on her doing, is she's making a reproduction of the scene of her daughter's decapitation. Yeah, so like the car and him sitting in it and the daughter's like headless body in the back seat and everything like that and the head on like she's and he's like why are you doing this like what and she's like oh it's just a it's a neutral view of the scene and she's he's like what the fuck are you talking about like don't let our son see this this is really messed up and um actually i read something that like ari aster had said is that she liked to make these miniatures because when she felt out of control with her life because she could control like what she was painting and so it kind of made her feel like she was back in control yeah she does seem like she is in a better mood in that scene than she does which is creepier because she's he's like obviously having this very visceral reaction to seeing what is happening also i don't know when this happens yeah but this is something that also is really messed up at some point you see a miniature of um peter's bedroom and peter's body is in it without a head i thought that that was her body without the head but put into peter's bed maybe i don't know there's a lot of very fucked up miniatures thing like you see like, there are just random shots that are interspersed, so I, like, I can't really say when they are in the movie because right. it's just super random. And, like, or there's one shot, for example, where it has, like, the grandmother, Ellen, like, standing in the doorway watching um, Annie and Stephen sleeping. So or, like, there's, well, like, we mentioned earlier that um, Ellen used to feed Charlie when she was a baby. There's one of her literally breastfeeding a baby a baby which is also creepy yeah and so there's like really just weird creepy miniatures kind of throughout this entire thing just adds to the level of creepiness of this entire movie it's it's very unnerving the level of unease yeah um but anyway not too long later because like annie is still working on this stuff for her show she goes to a craft store to buy a bunch of stuff and she runs into joan there yeah, and Joan is like, oh my god, the best thing has just happened to me. And um, she talks about how she like went to a seance thing that was specifically for non-believers. Yeah. And how like, they convinced her just to try it, and she didn't believe anything would happen, but that she got in touch with her seven-year-old grandson. Mm-hmm. And Annie's like, this is insane. Like, this is bullshit. Don't talk to me about this. And she's like, no, 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 I know, I know. I totally get it. Like, I understand. I was really skeptical, too. But, like, I figured out how to do it. Come home with me. Just please come home. Like, I will show you. Like, just trust me. Yeah, and so she goes back to Joan's house. And Joan, like, reads this enchantment. She's like, you have to have something of like the person you're trying to contact. So like I have like this um, chalkboard that was my grandson's and she's like, she has that out there and she's trying to talk with her grandson, Lewis. And like, she has her put her hand on a glass. Yeah. Each of them have to put their hand on top of this glass, but with like no pressure on it. And so she's asking like, please, like if you can hear this, like just move the glass, move the glass. And uh, the glass moves. moves. Yeah. And she freaks out. Like, Annie loses her shit. She's like, I have to go. I have to go. I'm sorry. And it's really interesting because, like, well, first there's, like, a whole conversation that goes. Right. So you see, like, draws on the chalkboard. um, Like, Joan looking so happy and Tony Collette is, like, sitting there, like, having a breakdown. She's freaking out. Mm -hmm. And she's, like, saying, like, if you we're going to ask yes, no questions, move the glass right. If the answer is yes, move the glass no. If it's left. And she asks, like, are you there? Are you in pain? Um, Are you okay? Like, can you draw this thing? She, like, puts out the... uh, chalkboard and like it writes like i love you grandma Mm -hmm. and tony's like i have to stop 
Yeah. I, I'm calling her Tony. Annie says, like, I have to stop. Like, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. And, like, Tony Collette, like, acts her fucking oh ass my God. off she this is entire house. Like, in this, this movie. is, like, she's incredible. She, this is probably one of the best performances she's ever had, if not the yeah. best performance. She's unbelievable in this movie. Um, and she's like, I just can't deal with this right now. And Joan's like, that's cool. I understand. But, like, here is. Here are the instructions. Yeah. And um, you have to say these words. And. And. Annie is like, what language is this even? She goes, I don't even know. It doesn't matter. You just say it and then it happens. Like, yeah. she totally brushes off, like, every question she has about Which, it. Which, honestly, like, if I had the, like, instructions for a seance, like, I probably wouldn't think, like, oh, I wonder what language this is. And, like, but look it up. That's probably thing. also how I would answer is how Joan answers. If you're trying to do magic, you need to know what magic you're trying to do. Because this is how you get into, like, genie shit, chaos magic shit, where, like, you ask for something to happen, and then something completely different that, like, kind of gives you the same outcome happens. Yeah, you're right. And which is what happens in this situation. She doesn't do her research. I actually read a great no sleep story about that yeah. where like they asked for good luck or like every time they saw like a ladybug, they would have good luck. But their good luck was like they should have died, but instead they just broke all the bones in their body. Yeah. Or they should have like, like all these things kept happening where it was something really bad that happened, but something worse was supposed to happen. Yeah. And, but it was still like every time they saw a ladybug, they knew that this absolutely horrific thing would happen. It's like genies, and they'll always figure out a way to fuck you over. Yeah. But one other thing that Joan mentions as well, she's like, every single person needs to be in the house, including your son. Very specific. I wonder why. I don't know. I guess we'll find out. Hmm. So Annie that night has this fucked up nightmare where she wakes up, and she sees this line of ants, and she follows them into Peter's room, and she sort of sleepwalks in, and she's just standing there staring at him and his whole face is covered in ants and they're like in his mouth. There's like like hundreds and hundreds, thousands of ants. Like it was terrifying. Just all over him. And she's just standing there with this like frozen, horrified look on her face that they use in a lot of the trailers. And then all of a sudden he goes, mom, why are you staring at me like that? Like mom, like what's wrong? Like, why are you so scared of me? Yeah. one thing that he, Mm -hmm. he asks. And then she says, like, I never wanted to have you. And she, like, clasps her hand over her mouth. And he's like, what the fuck? Then why did you? And she said, like, her mother pressured her into having the baby. Um, she didn't really want to. She's like, I did everything to try to have a miscarriage. And he's like, what? And she's like, everything you're not supposed to do, I did it. And he's like, so you literally tried to kill me. And she's like, no, but, like, I'm so happy it didn't work. And I'm happy to have you. Yeah. But, like, I did this thing. Yeah. And then, uh... She wakes up, and it turns yeah. out the first awakening like, is a false awakening. Yeah, so she's been asleep the entire time. It's just a fucked up dream, which honestly makes more sense, because it is that very, like, dream thing where you just, like, say shit. People just say shit back to you. And that makes sense why she couldn't, like, cover yeah. her mouth. But it's uh, interesting subconscious shit going on there. And so she's like, all right, time to do some magic. And she wakes the rest of her family up and lets them know that she has just contacted Charlie. Lo yeah. and behold. And so she wakes them up. She forces them all to go downstairs and, like, touch hands. And Steve's, like, watching her. And he's like, I'm not doing this. And she's like, fine. So she drags the table to him. She's like, if you're not going to come to the table, I'll bring the table to you. Yeah. And uh, they attempt it. And the glass starts moving. And they put out the the notebook. And she's, like, saying that Charlie was just drawing in the notebook. Um, but Steve, like, closes it. He, like, won't let it happen. Yeah. And so then Charlie possesses Annie, it seems like. Yeah, like there's an uh, object breaks in the room, then all of a sudden, like Annie like goes blank and then starts talking as if she's like a little girl. Yeah, and she's like, Mommy, like help, I'm scared, I'm scared, what's going on? Which is so not Charlie. Yeah, and I have a theory on that, which I, I read too. online that we'll get to later. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, but she's like saying, like, Mom, Mom, like, where are you? I'm scared. Peter like, is. Dad freaking the yeah. fuck out at this point in time. I actually think that, yeah, um, Alex Wolf, 
mm-hmm. is such a good I think he's a really killer actor. He does yeah. really well. Everyone in this movie acts very well. Like yeah. it's I think the only issue is that like he is obviously older than sixteen and he's doing this very like childlike scared thing in this true. scene, which makes sense for the character, but it's a little jarring to see a guy who's obviously like twenty two years old, like sobbing like a child. Know, like I've seen sixteen year olds that look like him. That's true. Um the only thing that threw me off about him was like that he has like a different complexion and hair and everything else than the entire family. Like, yeah, he looks a lot different from the rest of the family. He does. But um, he kind of, he looks a bit like Gabriel Byrne who plays his dad. I can see it. Like, but, and I think part of it's because his dad went, had gray hair. Yeah. Um, and he has like very dark hair. And so yeah. maybe the dad like had that hair like when he was younger or something. Yeah. Sorry, super random. <laughs> but I mean, I think Alex Wolf does well here. I, um, I, yeah, I really liked him. I thought he was great in this But movie. he's freaking out. Yeah, and so she is all over the place and freaking out. And uh, Steve throws a glass of water on Annie, and it sort of, like, snaps her out of it. And she's like, what just Why happened? Did you, like, what's going on? Like, what happened? And he's like, okay, this is fucked up. We're not doing this shit anymore. Yeah, so they go to bed. Um, and the next day, Peter's at school, and he is, like, just in class or whatever. And he looks into the glass. He's, like, next to a glass cabinet. He looks into it, and his reflection is, like, smiling at him. Yeah. And he's, like, really out of it. Like, he looks exhausted and sick and terrible. Yeah. Like, he's just not doing great after this whole thing. And then um, there's, like, this shimmering light that goes through the room. Yeah. And, like, and he's, like, hallway. watching it. And then all of a sudden you hear the... And he jumps up out of Yeah. And he's, like, oh, I have to go to the bathroom. And he, like, takes the pass and goes down. And you just see, like, down the whole hallway this, like, the, like, that circle light. of light just sort of, like, zooming down towards one of the end. Or, like, one end of the hallway. And um, so he ends up calling um, his dad and uh, gets picked up from school. Yeah. Um, and then Annie, like, fucking loses her shit completely and just destroys everything in her Yeah, studio. she's, like, working on some piece of art and, like, she just, like, smashes it in and yeah. destroys her enti- everything she's been working on this entire time. Yeah. There's, and, like, a couple pieces left over, but that's it. Yeah. Um, and when Steven comes in, he's like, what happened here? And she's like, I just didn't want to look at any of it anymore. Yeah. And, um... Meanwhile, um, Annie's, sorry. Meanwhile, Charlie's notebook was like left in Charlie's room and you can just see that it's being drawn in and it's nonstop just stop over and over and over again. Peter over and over and over again. It's Peter's face and he's crying. He looks upset and his eyes are crossed out. It's very disturbing. Yep. It's super creepy and you can tell that it's him because he's got his big Alex Wolf like mole on his face. Yep. They really got to the point of how you can identify that character. <laughs> Peter is asleep at night and he wakes up, I think because he hears a clock again, right? Yeah, I think so. And he looks around and he's freaking out and he thinks he sees Charlie in one part of his room, but it's really just a chair with a bunch of stuff on it. And then he looks over into another corner and she's standing there. Well, so what's super creepy about when he sees um, Charlie in the corner is her head falls off towards him and then it's just a ball rolling towards him. Yeah. So he's like, he like, he's like, Charlie, Charlie. And she just sort of leans forward and her head falls off. And then and it is the, the ball, dog, because yeah. they have a dog that shows up like two or three times in the entire movie. Yeah. But he's like in the hallway, like growling and barking and like really upset. Yeah. And then the door slams shut in like the dog's face. Mm-hmm. And these hands come out from between like the bars of, um, of like Peter's bed and grab his head and like are pulling on it. Yeah. And his mom, like Annie comes in and he's like, what are you doing? Why are you pulling on my head? Why are you pulling on my head? And she's like, what are you talking about? I'm not pulling on your head. Like you had a bad dream. You were screaming. I came in because you were screaming. But then the other thing is like, who, who knows what was actually happening? I know. We don't know. We don't know if she was could have been her doing it. Yeah. There's a lot of that type of stuff in this yeah, movie. Yeah, it's really cool. Or could it have been a creepy naked cultist under the bed? Ooh, it could be anyone. So there's a lot of creepy naked cultists that show up later. Yeah. And so um, 
Annie finds Charlie's notebook and sees all of like the creepy shit in it and she's like oh this probably isn't a good thing to have anymore like we need to get rid of this like we need to undo what I did I fucked up yeah and so she goes to throw the book in the fire and when she throws it in her sleeve catches on fire yeah and so she's like shit she can't like pat her sleeve out so she gets the book out and pats the fire out of the book and then it goes down on her sleeve as well so um the next day she tries to go to joan's apartment to be like i don't know what i did like i need to fix this and she goes and she's knocking on joan's door and joan's just not there but we get to see what's happening inside joan's apartment which is that it's all a fucking creepy cult apartment a ton of candles lit like a lot of white cloth Mm -hmm. and there is like this altar type thing that has a triangle inscribed into it and in the center of it has peter's picture yeah with his eyes crossed out yep so not gucci (laughs) (laughs) um also at this point um annie notices the mat the doormat again yeah, and she's and like, this is fucked up. She's like, okay, I know last time, like, this is actually the same. And so she goes home and starts rummaging through her mom's old things, and she finds the doormat that says Annie on it, and it's exactly the same type of doormat. Yeah. And so she starts going through these books. Um, she finds a photo album, and Joan's, like, in a bunch of pictures with her mom. And she's like, holy shit, like, this is not good. And then she finds a book about, like, spirituality or whatever is, like, what it's called. And she opens it, and, like, there's stuff highlighted about this demon who's, like, King Payman, mm-hmm. and how he's, like, a trickster god, and how he prefers the body of a male because he is a male yeah and there's a card in the front of it that says something that's from ellen to annie that's like i love you i'm so sorry you'll understand you'll see it's all worth it in the end and the she sacrifice actually found is all worth it that card early on yeah. in the movie and she was like what, what that note and she just this? didn't think about it and yeah. then she sees this and so things are starting to come together a and little she's bit. like this is very bad and at the yeah. same time peter is at school and joan he notices Joan earlier in the day, like, across the street from, like, while he's eating lunch. And she's, like, screaming at him to, like, get she, out. She's like, I expel you. Yeah. Like, Peter, get out. And, and then she's, like, saying all these other, like, like she says incantation some words. words and yeah. stuff like that. And he's, like, looking around. No one else is acknowledging what's happening. No. He's like, this is fucking weird. But he goes back to class. He's in the same class that he was previously. And they're talking about um, two myths, two Greek myths. Heracles, which is about... Heracles being um, turned mad by Hera and murdering his children. And then talking about Iphigenia, who is the daughter of Agamemnon, who was sacrificed by her father, Agamemnon, as a sacrifice to Artemis after he had killed one of Artemis's sacred So um, I was deer. not listening at all to what was happening it's, I in had the to class. look it up later. It's very subtle. They're just like, oh, so for both Heracles and Iphigenia, neither of them could have seen their deaths, or like the events coming, or like something really like off the top of, like I, I found it was later decided by the gods. Exactly. Good stuff. Um, but yeah, so... While he's in class, he something happens. He like puts his hand up. Yeah, his hand like juts up at a really weird angle. And like a weird angle that almost looks like semi brokenish, but it's not. And then you get a close up of his face, and I don't know how they did this to his face because like one of his eyelids is like partially flipped inside out, and like yeah. he's making this really like it looks like someone is like smashing his face. And it in. sounds like he is like choking. Yeah, and they're like, "What are you okay? Like, what's going on?" And then his face like slams into the yeah. desk. And twice. Yeah. The second time, which breaks his nose. And he wakes him up from it, basically. And he just goes flying backwards and starts screaming and stuff like that. And he's like, his whole face is bleeding. Apparently in this scene, originally, Alex Wolf was like, let me break my nose. In this scene, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to slam my face into it and I'm going to break it. And Ari Aster was like, 
No, we're gonna use like a softer desk so that you don't break your nose. But then I guess there was some kind of mix up because they ended up using a regular desk, but Alex Wolf didn't know it. So I don't know if he actually broke his nose during the scene, oh but he did God. really slam his face into the desk like pretty hard because he thought it was gonna be like a soft foam desk and he just fucking went for it. But like, shout out to Alex Wolf for being like, I'll fucking break my nose. I don't care. Like, that's, oh my that's God. dedication. Oh my God. <laughs> He's moving on from the Naked Brothers band, man. He doesn't want to be a child actor anymore. Oh, wait, wait. He was in the Naked Brothers band? Yeah, it's him and his brother. Oh, my God. And then uh, uh, Nat Wolf, who was in, I think he was the one who was in My Friend Dahmer. Although that might have been Alex as well. I'm not, they look really, really similar. So it's very hard to uh, be certain. I had no idea. That's so funny. Um, But oh, I can't believe he did that. Like, good for him. Yeah. This movie is so intense. It's really intense. And so he go like, he, his dad has to go pick him up, right? Because he's all bandaged up it's really bad and this is actually one of the scenes that i think made me feel the worst for steve is that we actually get to see steve away from everything and he's at the office um or at home or wherever he is and he gets the call and he's like oh my god i'll be right there and he just like hangs up the phone and he's like and they can't get a hold of her because she's off trying to get in touch trying to figure out what's happening with joan so he has to go and get their son and there's just him driving home with like his bandaged up son in the back and he just starts crying at a stoplight and it's just the most like that i think that's why i feel so bad yeah, for him is no, that it's him just point. like trying to keep all this shit together and things just keep getting worse something we did forget to mention though is along with all this stuff um where we found out that joan actually like knew the grandmother we also find the grandmother's dead body in the attic oh yeah <laughs> Who so she's in there because um, they talk about how the grave had been desecrated mm-hmm. and they talk about some way how there's like a smell in the house yeah and uh, yeah so her dead body's up there and she doesn't have a head yes Annie finds her yeah finds her up there because there's like a ton of um, like flies and stuff buzzing and so she follows them up there and, and there's like this rune this like symbol that they have on like a necklace that was passed down from Ellen to Annie that kind of shows up a lot. Um, is written in blood over her dead body but it looks like very fresh blood too it's not like old blood. Right. And so, um, so when, uh, Stephen gets home with Peter to the house, um, Annie greets them in the driveway being like, oh my God, what happened? What happened? And she's just, they carry him inside and put him to bed. And then she is just like full on. She's trying to explain everything that she has found out to Stephen. But it sounds It does. She's like. Charlie's ghost is drawing these things and my mother's dead body is in our attic and he she hasn't even told him about Joan and all of a sudden she's just like there's this woman Joan and she's known my mother the whole time and he's, he's like, like who the fuck is Joan he's like what are you talking about like do you even hear yourself like you sound insane and she's like look the dead body is up in the attic and he's like there's not a fucking dead body up in our attic and she's like go look and so he does and then he's like, I never told you that the grave was desecrated. Like, you were the one who did this. Like, he's 100% yeah. convinced it was her. And, like, why did you do this? Yeah. And she's like, no, 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 no. Like, you don't even understand. Like, we have to burn the book. And then, like, everything will go back to normal. And he's freaking out. Because he's like, look at what's happening to our son. Yeah. Like, you're on a whole other trip. And, like, we need to be focusing on our family. I don't know what's going on. I'm going to call the police. And she's like, no, 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 no. Don't call the police. Just come down. We're going to burn the sketchbook and then it's going to be okay. And she's just like begging him, like, please, like, put the sketchbook in the fire. And because she knows that, like, because when she tried to burn it on fire earlier, it started to catch her. And she's like, I am willing to die. And, like, she doesn't say this, but it's clear that she's like, 
good with dying if it means that she saves the rest of her family. So she's trying yeah. to sacrifice herself. And also she knows that if she has to be the one to throw it in, she's not going to be able to do it. But if he does it, then she'll just stand there and like take it basically. Yeah. And so he goes to like, they put the uh, like paint thinner on it and he goes through and he's like, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to support you. Like that's crazy. And she's like, well, fuck it. So she runs over, she grabs the book, she throws it in the fire. And Steve catches on fire. Yeah, and so he goes completely up in flames instead of her. Yeah. And I read, it was very interesting, like, where she tries to sacrifice herself, but it's not her choice to make. Nope. Out of her hands. Yep. And so Peter wakes up, and, oh, God. Well, first, like, while she is watching Stephen's body, she has this, like, also look of sheer terror, which I think was also used in the trailer. Yeah. But you can see, like, the flames on her, like, Mm -hmm. the light of the flames on her face. And then she just, like, stops. And yeah, and her face goes, like, blank. Yeah, her face goes completely blank. Mm-hmm. And um, now Peter wakes up. Now, so then Peter wakes up in his bed, and he's, like, confused. He doesn't know what's going on. And he's, like, sitting up, and he calls kind of for his mom and his dad. And then you see up in a corner of his bedroom that she's, like, up there behind him, like, kind of in the air. And then he turns, because it's like he notices something behind him, and she skitters is really the only word for it but through the air not even like on the walls or something like that she just skitters through midair out the door and apparently um i was reading about like the actual demonology that went into this shit um about payment and Mm -hmm. one of his abilities was to make people float and like all the stuff Uh that actually happens in this are abilities that are attributed to payment that's fucking wild yeah and he doesn't notice this so he doesn't No, he doesn't see her but he goes downstairs and he finds his father's body. Yep. Obviously, that's very upsetting for him. And as it zooms out of him, like, finding out, we see that uh, Annie is, once again, like, levitating in, like, the corner of this room, all creepy yeah. and shit watching him. And he doesn't see this, but he turns around and there's this closet door that's open and there's this, like, old naked guy just standing there smiling at him. And it's the same guy that smiled creepily at Charlie, Charlie at, the, uh, at the beginning, at the funeral. And so he's like, what the fuck? And then out of nowhere... Annie comes running, like, full speed at him. And uh, she chases him, and he ends up going up the ladder into the attic. Mm -hmm. And he closes it up behind him, and so um, she can't get in. And she's, like, knocking on it, knocking on it. He's like, Mom, please stop. And then we see her, and she's not knocking on it. She's on all fours on the ceiling, banging her head against it. Like, really, really, really fast. Okay, it is creepy. I feel more scared, like, and creepy, like, describing it. It's really disturbing. Than I felt watching it. And it's so heartbreaking because he calls her Mommy in the entire scene. Yeah. And he's just like, Mommy, please, Mommy, don't do... Like, it's so fucking sad. Um, But he turns around, and the dead body of his grandmother is not there anymore but there's like an outline of it because there had been like dust all around her and yeah. stuff like that but there's a whole bunch of uh naked cultists again in the attic and then him. somehow Annie... and another photo of him in the center of oh, where yeah. the dead body was with his eyes crossed out and that's he's like, true fuck that's not good and then somehow annie does get into the attic and she's levitating and she's levitating and sawing off her own head with a piano wire yeah and the way that they introduce this is oh like you'll never forget the noise because it's just like eh, eh, eh. But it's, it's slow at first. It's like, yeah. Eh, eh. It's like, and, and then it, it gets faster. Up and speeds up. And it, you just see his face looking at her in like horror. And then it turns around and you see her. And she also has this like horrified expression on her face. And she's just sawing from the back to the front through her own fucking neck. And he freaked out by this, by the weird naked cultist people in here. So he just like bolts out and runs through the attic window and jumps and lands. And, presumably dies um 
Oh, I never, I didn't actually read it as him being dead at all. Well, so he falls down and you hear her head fall off and thump on the ground. Yeah, so she is like hella dead. And then you see this black shadow kind of move away from his body and then the blue light enter his body. Oh, yeah. So I think that's like his soul is leaving and then Payman's like, what up, bitches, I'm here. I, I, I took it as that. I just took it as, like, his body he still had a pulse and shit. Like, yeah. he still was, like, it's alive, kind of tell... but his spirit had been, like, banished. Yeah. I think that might be what because it is, too. Like, when... he's so injured that they can get a hold of him then or something like yeah. that. Yeah. And uh, especially with, like, the invocation or whatever that Jim yeah. had yelled at him, saying, like, get out. Like, I expel you and all that shit. Mm-hmm. Like... But anyway, um, yeah, so we do hear the thump of the head rolling on the ground Oof. after it is released. And then we also see, like... Tony Collette's like dead headless body like float into the treehouse, which is all lit up. Like it has like a fiery light inside of it. Yeah. So he goes and climbs up as well. And inside is a statue that's actually really similar to the ones that um it's Charlie like a made. giant version of the ones that the toys that Charlie made. With her decapitated head on top of it. Yeah. Wearing a crown. And all of these naked cultists like bowing down to it and like his mother's dead body and his grandmother's dead body also bowing down to it on all fours yeah without the heads with no heads and he's kind of staring at it and then they like crown him yeah and so um joan starts giving he's like it's okay charlie like don't be afraid we have like sacrificed everything for you i don't remember the exact speech that she gives yeah she's like you're king payman you're one of the nine kings of hell like a little refresher course yeah um but you're here now and everything's gonna be okay and he's like standing with his head kind of like tilted like looking all messed up like very similar to like how charlie would look at things yeah and so it's just fascinating yeah and, and, and so some of them also like hail, hail payment and then it zooms out and it's a miniature version as well so it's like that scene the little vignette and then just blackness all around fun fact they actually had to build two tree houses because the tree house that you see all before the scene is not big enough to fit all those people understandable it's, and so because it's just a small regular tree house and then yeah. it's like supernaturally like enlarged is the idea but they actually had to film a second or had to build a second one also one of the creepiest things i noticed on this watch is that when like the second shot of his mom like of of Annie's dead body um when she's like somehow they've turned to face him when he like walks away from oh, like when I didn't he's realize crowned that. they turn to face him like in the next shot they've turned back to face him instead of to face um Charlie Oh I thought that he was like walked over to where Charlie was No they like move and then her hand is twitching Oh I didn't notice Annie's that. hand is still twitching which is also fucked up Um so that is that's that that's yeah, and the then it ends with, like, a really kind of uh, cheery-sounding song. Very, like, a la So it ends, and... yeah, it ends with a cover of Both Sides Now, which is actually about living through life and gaining experiences and realizing that nothing is as simple or straightforward as you think it is. But it's a very cheery cover of it. Yep. Which is a weird tone to end on. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that movie is just, like, it goes from zero to 60 because most of it's, like, a slow, like, portrait of a family piece type thing with nothing really supernatural happening. Then all of a sudden, like, wham yeah just everything goes off the rails it's fucking crazy it's so fascinating and like we said it's really well done it's incredibly acted everyone is doing great and And it's just the first time i watched it um I 100% just expected it to be a ghost movie and the King Payment stuff that came, felt like it just came out of nowhere. Like it wasn't like, it didn't feel like it was foreshadowed. It didn't feel like it was hinted to at all. Rewatching it, there are a lot of hints and foreshadows. Oh, for yeah. It, but they're all so subtle that if you don't know, like it doesn't feel like it's coming at all. Right. 
And not only that, but I was reading an interview with the director where it talked about how he like put in all that seance stuff to like kind of, it was almost like a misdirection. Like he mm-hmm. wanted you to think it was just a traditional supernatural like ghost movie. And then it wasn't. It was something yeah. so much more. Yeah. And that was kind of cool, but like it just threw me off. I mean, yeah, we both went into it knowing really nothing about it other than the trailer. And you just, you're not prepared for so much of that stuff. And it makes sense when you really think about it later. But when it's happening in the moment, you're like, what the fuck is going <laughs> on? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think a little bit of background about Ari Aster might be a, an interesting thing to... For sure. I mean, I know he said this movie was, like, almost semi-autobiographical like Yeah, times. but he's like, been very, like, mum about what that means. He doesn't want to talk about it. It's I think this is kind of, like, his way of getting past some shit that happened to him, it sounds like. Because um, there are times, like, they'll ask a question, he's like, I don't really want to talk about that. Yeah. He is very young. He's, like, 31 now. That's insane. Which is bonkers. But like we said, it's his, his like, featured directorial debut... Not the first thing he's ever done, though. He's done a couple of shorts. Um, he did one called The Strange Thing About the Johnsons, which is about a um, an incestuous father-son relationship in which the son is the aggressor. Really? Yeah, it seems very fucked up from what I understand. Um, he said that one of the reasons that he knew that Tony Collette was the right person for this role, aside from the fact that she even took interest in it when she doesn't normally do horror at all, um, is that she liked... Um, this movie. The strange thing about the Johnsons. And he was like, whew, okay, all right, we're going to go on then. Um, and then he also did a movie called Munchausen, a short movie called Munchausen, um, which is about a mother poisoning her son basically to keep him from leaving her and going to college. So there's like already in his work this really fucked up, like crossing the line of like what you can possibly get past in a family. Yeah. And like these really dysfunctional and taboo and unorthodox situations within a family um which i'm curious to see what happens in midsummer because that's such a strong theme it seems like it really unites a lot of his work yeah up to and including hereditary so we actually watched the trailer for midsummer right before starting to record this episode it looks crazy so there was an interview done with him i think it was on the ama reddit thread he did where he they asked him like what is this about and he said, like, oh, it's about a breakup. But the same way, like, when he talked about, like, what is hereditary about, it was like, oh, it's a family dealing with loss. Yeah. But it's also about demon possession. So we'll see what Midsummer's really about. Yeah, really. Who knows? Um, and he talks about a lot of uh, movies that inspired him or were sort of influential on this. Um, and one he mentioned that I think is fantastic um, when, you, when you think about the similarities between it is Carrie. We've talked a lot about Carrie on this podcast. I think Carrie even we haven't done really an is super influential. We do have to do a Carrie episode. We will. At some point in time. Um, I think Carrie is also really strongly related to The Witch, which we are going to talk about how like The Witch also kind of relates to this yeah. movie. Also, an A twenty four film, which mm-hmm. this was. Um, but it does have that whole idea about like a really dysfunctional relationship and how that can like go really badly. Yeah, that mother child relationship. Like, is what just is not the worst case scenario be. of this dysfunctional relationship? Yeah, it's like your child has superpowers and like makes you get impaled on a bunch of knives because you were mean about her dirty pillows. Like or alternately, you saw your own head off in your attic while your possessed son watches because you can't deal with what happened to your daughter. Like it's yeah. the really extreme supernatural version of these personal things. And honestly, I think that makes a lot of sense because one of the things we keep talking about with Stephen King is that the personal relationships and specifically the familial relationships are really, really important to his work. Um, and I see a lot of that in this. I think yeah. that like we talked about with so many of his other interpretations or the adaptations of Stephen King's work, that's something that doesn't always come across in those movies that kind of gets sacrificed for but the more horror elements. That gets 
across so well in this movie. Like exactly. this one is one that does relationships between people so well. Right. So it is possible to get things right. And I'm I talking would... to you, Firestarter cast and crew. <laughs> I'm saying right now I want to see Ari Aster do The Shining. Ooh. Mm, right? That'd be a lot more fucked up, though. I don't it know if I could be. handle that. I would love. It'd also be like five hours long. Love to see it. I'll sit through five hours of The Shining directed by Ari Aster. I don't give a shit. I'm there. I'll do it. <laughs> I would do it, but I would be uh, unwilling at first. I think I would be changed forever and my life would be ruined by it, <laughs> but I would watch it. <laughs> yes. Um, he also mentions The Cook, The Thief, His Wife, and Her Lover, which is not a horror movie. It's like a crime movie. Um but it has like these really strong themes of like revenge and grief and violence. And also there is a decapitation and a, a head that a character makes another character eat. Ew. Yeah. So there's some heavy gore that's happening there, which I guess makes is kind sense. of an inspiration. He did say that some of it is like an aesthetic that he took from that. So I think that that's probably, I haven't seen that movie, the thief, the cook, his wife and her lover. Cook the Thief, His Wife, and Her Lover. A lot of words. Haven't seen it. Um, it's got a very young Meryl Streep in it, and it's Ooh. rated X. Oh, damn. So there's that. You know, Meryl Streep and I have the same birthday. That's cool. Fun fact of the day. Ruth Bader Ginsburg and I have the same birthday, which is cool. That is cool. She's done a lot more than I have, but she's and also a lot older than me. Meryl Streep has also done a lot more than I have. Yeah, you got a couple Oscars to get to catch up with her, so. Ugh. Too much of a legacy. Get to up going. <laughs> So, yeah, like I just said a second ago, there are some similarities when it comes to the A24 film, The Witch, which we had an episode on a while back. Yeah, it's almost like the same basic, not format, but like the same sort of emotional points, but in a totally different environment and like a different storyline. It's like, what if this happened, but in like colonial New England with a witch instead of a demon? <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't like originally inspired by one of the family members, I guess, because right. they're just like chosen but it's the same kind of fate thing yeah of the idea they aren't really in control of what's happening they can't do anything against it and like there was a huge theme about fate because they were um super puritan yeah no the, the uh, calvinists yeah. calvinists right and calvinists believe that everything is uh, predetermined yeah there's and also so, we see the family dealing with grief there's a sibling who basically brought about another sibling's death yeah through their sort of carelessness and not that movie intentionally. also goes off the rails in like the last like half hour or so. oh my god yeah and there's all that family tension that's like really similar to the family tension that you see there's creepy breastfeeding in both of them there is creepy breastfeeding in both hey oh man a24 is really leaning on the creepy breastfeeding theme they are i mean um i also enjoyed that in the uh production meeting people were calling this movie rosemary's baby meets ordinary people um <laughs> Ari Aster did not agree with that. Mm -hmm. That's how like a lot of the pe other people working on the movie saw it. He has mentioned that Rosemary's Baby was another big influence it's, yeah. on him, which I think you can see. It's not as direct. There's a lot of like uncertainty in both movies as to like whether or not the events are supernatural up until the very end, where it becomes really clear. Also, demon babies. Demon babies, exactly. There's the possession of a child right from its birth, and there's even a direct like shout out to it with the Hail Payman thing at the end is almost exactly the same as like the whole like cult around Rosemary and her baby yeah. yelling hail Satan at the end of the movie. And that's how it closes out. So that he mentioned that there was a direct like shout out to Rosemary's baby, which I think this is, is almost what that like is. what happens like 13 years after Rosemary's baby. Right. Like if you don't find out if Rosemary never figured it out, yeah, like this would be what that is. Yep. That's really interesting. Also, if the mom was the one, instead of creepy neighbors, creepy mother yeah. instilling demons inside of you. Which is like, maybe that's how you do it. Is if you have a family member who's there, you're not going to question why they're around so much. That's you know? true. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I also, I guess there's a lot of comparison between this and The Exorcist. I don't really get that. And Ari Aster has mentioned that he doesn't really get it either. I guess, like, the crawling on walls was a yeah. part of it. It's like, I guess it's all, it's demonism. That's true. And The Exorcist is really, like, that and The Omen are, like, the two big first demon movies. So, like, I can understand it, but I don't really... I think there are other movies that are more comparable. Yeah. Also, you know, there's kind of an omen thing there. But it's all that creepy demon child thing. It's Honestly, just, like, that's such a trope. creepy, evil demon baby, like, if it's there. And I think, actually, Ari Aster even talked about He's like, yes, there are tropes in my movie, but I try to go beyond the tropes. Yeah. And it doesn't even feel the same way because she doesn't feel like just a normal creepy child. She's, like, a teen. Yeah. She's, like, a weird teen who you're like, oh, maybe she has, like, some sort of, like, developmental thing or something like that where she's just not expressing emotion, but, like... You know, a lot of kids have issues like that where they don't express emotion or, yeah. or whatever. You don't, you're not like, your first thought isn't, she must be a demon because she's not overtly creepy in that way. She's just like a little unusual, you know? Yeah. Which is interesting because I think that's more of how that kind of person would be interpreted. But I'm actually curious if she even was a demon or if the demon was like sharing the body with her or like, was there still any Charlie left? Well, that's the was thing. Was Charlie the demon? Like, were they one and the same? Well, because that that's one thing that kind of comes up when there's the when uh, Annie is possessed by Charlie is that I've seen some conjecture on the internet that like that's the first time that Charlie ever gets to meet her family because she was displaced by this demon at the first time who's like at at first when she was born and that demon has been running the show ever since. Oh, that's interesting. So like that's why she's way more expressive. She's like overtly fearful. I was looking at it from the other perspective where Payman is the god of mischief and or He's like a demon of mischief or whatever, mm-hmm. and that's his thing. And so that he was playing a trick on the family by pretending to be Charlie, but it was actually him. And so he was saying all that, but it wasn't actually emotional. It wasn't actually all those things. Because, like, obviously it wasn't actually a seance they were doing. It was, like, a right. summoning thing. And so, like, even when Joan was, like, summoning or, like, doing the seance for her son, that was probably also just Payman pretending to be yeah. the seven-year-old boy writing, like, I love you, Grandma. It wasn't yeah. actually, like, a seven-year-old boy's spirit. So I thought it was just, like, Payman fucking with everyone everyone and That's like pretending to be charlie it could be either like yeah. it's so open to interpretation like there's definitely like some parts where you're like oh yeah that's a fucking demon but like a lot of it is like it's very hard to tell and um even like and ari Aster did say that this movie has like a lot he says like a lot of people seem to think that there's like one exact like literal ending to this movie and that is the only reading and he feels like there's a lot more readings than that and i think that's an area that like the part that we were just talking about is like one of those like where there could be multiple interpretations yeah I mean, it works. It's something that you can't stop thinking about, which I think is part of that, is that, like, when you are allowed to kind of run wild with what it might be and sort of think back to things and be like, oh, was it this or was it this thing? Or could it have been this? You're kind of allowed to reinterpret that, and it really sticks with you. And I do think the more you watch this movie, the more things you will notice and the more you'll, like, get those multiple interpretations. But at the same time, that means you have to watch this movie multiple times, which is not an easy feat. No, but it kind of lines up with something that Ari Aster actually said about, like, the concept of the horror film which is you have two camps. One is horror films that are essentially roller coaster rides that are there to just give people a series of jolts and then let them go home and get on with their life. Then there are others that are maybe more existential in nature and are really trying to play with the very serious fears and engaging with them on a serious level. Those are the ones that I'm interested in watching and those are the films that I'm interested in making. And he does it. I like both. I like them both too. (laughs) It's like you gotta balance them out because you can't watch all hereditary all the time or you're just like never gonna, you're just gonna spiral out of control. Oh my God. I just like would stop leaving the house. Yeah. Like you need a scream in there. (laughs) You need something in there where you're just like, oh, that was fun. What a wild movie. Like, you know, you're not left with lingering fear after you watch Scream. 
I definitely thought you meant like you need to have a jump scare that makes you scream. I didn't realize you were talking about the movie scream. To be honest, he also has jump scares that make you scream. That's true. Like he's not above a jump scare, but they're like jump scares are actually great because they do have that like release of tension for a second. Yeah. Yeah. Like when the clock happens in the car and like everybody in the audience is like, ah, that's like you get the endorphins. Yeah. And you feel better for a couple minutes. Yeah. So those are important. Okay. Yeah. Ugh. And there is a lot of like, I mean, there's so much in this. There's so much symbolism. There's so many of these themes. It's like we talked about with like, even what's happening in the background in the classes is like, you can read into it in such greater detail. And like fate is like this overarching concept in the movie that is barely like in the actual text, it's barely touched on, but it's literally said out loud by the teacher. Like, is it sadder that these characters don't have any control over their lives? Like, does that make it more tragic? And in the moment, that's, like, applying to the play that they're reading. But it also applies to the movie. Like, is it sadder that Peter has all these things that he wants to accomplish and, like, he wants to go on the date with the girl and it's never going to happen? And, I mean, that also carries through with, like, the whole miniatures throughout the entire movie. Like, they are dolls in a dollhouse. Like, they are not in charge of their own actions. They are being played with by the occult members who are setting everything up. Like, the occult members set up the death of literally every single member in the family, starting from Charlie, which I mentioned earlier. Honestly, probably starting further back, because when she talks about um, her family, she says her father starved himself to death, which is very strange. Yeah. And her brother accused their mother of trying to put people in him. him. And he has the same name, Charles, that they gave to Charlie, the little girl. So she's named after her uncle, and her grandma tries to do the exact same fucking thing. But it works this time. But it works. Yeah, it seems like the first time it just didn't work. Yeah, because he, I guess, maybe was stronger and older or something like that, and he could overcome. Which is maybe another thing. is Maybe that if Charlie had lived, maybe that's why she doesn't care about her body. Maybe it's like the Charlie version of her trying to be like, fuck it, I'm out. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah, because she doesn't want the female body. Yeah, or... Actual Charlie doesn't want payment inside of her. That also maybe it's Charlie that's like, I'll eat the fucking candy. I don't care if it has like nuts in it. I just want to be done because this is terrible. That's a good point. I didn't think about that. Yeah, it could really go either way. Oh, oh, one of the other miniatures that I liked, um, the house in the lobby. So in the like in the lobby of the home, you know, there's the two model houses. There's like one that's right by the stairs Mm -hmm. that's on like a big cliff, and there's the other that's by the living room that's like a boarded up house with like a bank vault door for the front of it. I honestly don't even remember seeing these. They're like two other miniatures that cool. are presumably from like previous exhibitions or something that like that sense, that are still yeah. around the house. Um, in the model by the living room, there are two windows that are boarded up. There's light coming out of all of the rooms except for two, one of which corresponds with the attic, one of which corresponds with where Charlie's house is, or Charlie's room is in the actual house. Gotcha. So like all of the rooms are in the same place, even though it's like a different house. So Charlie and the attic are both boarded up. There's no light coming out of them. So that's almost like a little, like, background detail that's like, that's where the demon is. It's with her, and it's up in the attic with, like, the grandma's dead body. That makes sense. It's very creepy. It's very cool attention to detail. And then, I mean, speaking of attention to detail, all the, like, occult symbolism and shit in this movie. Oh, my God. So when it came out, like, I don't remember if I read an article or if it was, like, someone told me this, but there was someone who watched this movie and they recognized all the symbols immediately they're like oh yeah this is about payment like this is just this is about that yeah because the symbol that they use is the real symbol for payment it's just that a lot of people don't like know if you're it. not really into occultism you don't know about payment yeah and he actually found out about it because he was like 
trying he know he knew he wanted to do some sort of possession movie he wanted to do something but he didn't want to do Satan he was like okay this has been done over and over and over again it's really obvious I want to do something less obvious and so he only found payment because he was doing a research on like what are cool demons that I could use in this apparently somebody afterwards told him the payment was an obvious choice and he was like I don't know what you want from me <laughs> <laughs> like at this point I don't know what you want that's really funny um but we were actually watching this and and Tim noticed that on the side of the treehouse there's a rune oh so it's like a Y with like a, a like a like the stem of the Y continues up through like okay, the branches yeah. of the Y. And it's like the cross beams like on the side of the treehouse. Um and that ruin is called Al Al Algis or the Elk's Edge. Elk's Edge. Okay. Um, which is like a symbol of an elk god, uh some, sometimes how it's interpreted. There's also like a plant called the Elk's Edge that I guess is related to it as well. Um and a lot of times more recently I guess it's kind of been reinterpreted um, based on this one guy's book that came out in like 82, um, reinterpreted as a sign of protection because I guess there's a Germanic interpretation of it as a life symbol. I don't know anything about ruins, so I am literally just what well, I It's also fascinating because internet. Charlie kept leaving the house to sleep there instead because she exactly, felt safer there or whatever. Yeah, and, and then, then Annie starts to do it. Yeah. And then that's where everything goes down. I wonder if that rune is still there um, at the end of the movie. Oh, I don't know. I didn't look for that because I didn't notice it. Right. I would... I don't know. I don't even know if they show another because I kept trying to look for it. I was not watching this movie quite as closely as I could have been because I was taking notes on it for a synopsis. And also I was just like, I had seen it. And so I was like, I don't need to subject myself to this like horribleness. Um, But that's fascinating. And now I need to watch it a third time and watch for everything. Just like with the lights off, focusing on nothing and not taking notes on my phone. And just never sleep again. Also that. I got to say one thing that I found out which is constantly, I'm constantly being reminded of, is how badly Nazis fucked up, like, ruins and symbolism and shit yeah. like that. Because they just took shit. Yeah. So, like, apparently during Nazi Germany, like, that symbol, the Elk's Edge, was used on, like, gravestones in cemeteries to be, like, the mm. life, like, the beginning date for, like, birth and death. So now it's got, like, that attached to it, which fucking sucks. And I guess yeah. it was used in a bunch of their symbols. So it's, like, that's not where it came from. I don't think that there's any intentional... Uh, Nazi symbolism in this movie but unfortunately it has kind of been co-opted by them which fucking sucks because fuck Nazis something else that was within the house that was really small that I didn't notice like I, or I guess I noticed it but I never thought about it too deeply was just occasionally in the house you'll see words just written on the wall yeah and like satiny and other weird and shit. so it's all latin that's written on the wall and they're all supposed to be part of like an invocation mm-hmm. that's happening in the house and you don't see every instance of it in the house like there's supposed to be them like all over just you don't see them so you'll see hints of them and like it's never fully explained but like one of them's like it's behind the daughter's headboard so it looks like she just wrote something on the wall right and you don't get like a super clear view of it so like it could be her name she wrote or something mm-hmm. like that but there's one in like the mother's bedroom as well yeah which like they try to keep the door closed but it like opens a couple times and i think that's part of like there are cult members in and out of the house all the time yeah um and so there's one scrawled in there as well it's so creepy there's a triangle on the floor which can be used for summoning yep summon demons and use triangle i mean it worked they summoned a demon they sure fucking did and um I thought it was interesting that Ari Aster actually mentioned that he didn't want to do any overt Christian symbolism because he didn't want people to notice. He wanted it to be more like that kind of thing where, like, you see it and you're like, I wonder what what that is. is. I wonder what that means. And, like, he's Jewish, so, like, there's not that, like, he wouldn't have been raised around Christian symbolism, so it wouldn't occur to, you know, it wouldn't, like, occur to 
put it in or feel obvious in that way. So I think it's kind of interesting that it allows him to expand outside of what the normal symbols that you see are. And I think there has been a lot more, there's a lot more creepy stuff that exists in the world than just like the traditional, like the devil. Yeah. Um, though they do say at the end, like, um, we reject the Trinity, which is yeah. like the only, I think, like true reference to Christianity in the movie. Yeah. And I mean, I guess that like, Payment is supposed to be like really loyal to Satan, which is like, technically Christianity but I feel like the whole Satan thing is kind of its own thing as well yeah you know I like outside of traditional Christianity like it's all from like the um there's like a text that all of the like the kings of hell are pulled from and stuff like that and it's not like normal traditional like Christian yeah like texts or whatever like that it's a little bit more neat so kind of the last thing for me is like we talk a lot about family in this we talk a lot about the the plot and the weird symbolism and stuff like that the title of this is a very specific choice to me. Calling it hereditary kind of, I think, pulls it all together because it's like, well, what is that about? Like, what is actually hereditary in this movie? And I think there's a lot of things. And there is, for starters, the mental illness that they, that she talks about at the grief counseling, like her mother having DID and depression and uh, her brother's schizophrenia and the dementia. And, like, obviously, you know, if we find out later that Annie met her husband while she was, like, his patient yeah. and... There's something going on with Charlie. There's sort of that passed down illness or the passed down, like, having to deal with all of these things. Or is there? Which is another thing. Is that is that all illness? How much of it is mental illness? Like, did the mom actually succeed in putting payment inside the kids? Like, they thought that he had schizophrenia, but actually, like, he just had a demon inside of him. Right. And, like, what if part of the, like, possession is sometimes compared to like multiple personality or disassociative identity disorders. So like maybe her mother was like sometimes possessed by payment as a vessel as well. Like while they were trying to find between like her brother dying and Charlie being born, where was payment? Was payment in Queen Lee as they call her? Like, was she carrying him? Was like, what was her dementia? Was that really her like, actually having dementia or was she just like really getting into the whole demon stuff yeah and like kind of losing track of reality because of that yeah and like we don't actually even get to see what accurately happened the uh movie like before it started because there aren't any flashbacks this entire time right and something that i actually loved was the fact that these miniatures at times almost stand for flashbacks but seen through annie's eyes Mm -hmm. so like um there's a miniature that shows the grandmother breastfeeding charlie with like Annie out with her breast out as well as if she's like wants to but the grandmother's taking it from her and like I'm going to assume that this grandmother did not literally breastfeed Charlie it seems like it would not have been possible exactly um and so because of that like it's very much like a skewed perspective on what happened in the past but and maybe that's sort of that idea that they talk about at dinner where it's like no one will take responsibility for anything and no one wants to actually address what's really happening. So you sort of put it through a certain filter and like you make a miniature of it and you deal with it in this way or that way instead of actually dealing with what is really literally happening in the world around you. In a way, you could also say that this movie like could be taken as like maybe this is all just um, Peter having like a fucking mental break and he is actually like seeing things that aren't there. And uh, yeah, I mean, this is how he's like internalized his family's struggles is by like turning them into cult shit. And he isn't actually like a demon god. I seriously I mean, doubt that that is true. Yeah. But like, and you could technically try and interpret you it could that way. as well because things are super, super vague. And I mean, there is so much of what happens is the result of like people's 
flaws and people's behaviors that yeah. like it kind of could be explained away i mean there's a lot of shit that's like a little bit more you know i, I think they definitely text like in the actual movie you're supposed to see what is happening and that's yeah. what's happening but yeah i mean there's a lot of ambiguity just and, because there is so much discussion about mental health issues right on. and he starts to have like these episodes and like they could be seizures they could be possession like his whole body freezes up and he like freaks out like that could be a seizure yeah you know also, you know what else is hereditary? Fucked up family relationships? I was going to say sleepwalking. Yes. Which uh, one of those, again, those miniatures shows um, Ellen standing in the door, like watching the family sleep. Mm-hmm. And the question is like, is that her sleepwalking or was she potentially just like watching yeah. and being creepy as And fuck? then later we see the sleepwalking happen with Annie where she has done it once where she walked into the room and she tried to light her kids on fire mm-hmm. and herself. Yep. All three of them on fire, which I've seen as, like, Ari Aster makes mention of, like, she's trying to save them. She wasn't trying to kill them necessarily. She was trying to save them in the sense that, like... From what was going to happen. If they get destroyed, they can't be possessed. And if she gets destroyed, then no one can make a new person for And the family line is wiped out. Exactly. No more hereditary things. Yeah. And it is interesting how much, like, Annie sort of mirrors... Ellen in a lot of ways like she talks about how secretive she is and then she has this whole secret life yeah she talks about her secret friends and then she has some of the same secret friends like Joan is a shared secret friend that's true or you know she has this complicated relationship where like she feels like she's never enough and she doesn't want her mom around because of their like weird damaged relationship and then she does the same thing to Peter yeah like presumably she's talking about how she feels blamed for everyone's death and everything bad that has happened. And she mentions her brother's death as part of that. And then she puts that same exact blame onto her son. I mean, Charlie's death. To be fair, Peter did literally kill his sister. I mean, not purposely. So it was an accident. It was was kind of an accident, kind of like murdered by outside parties. Right. But still like, I can understand her like not being happy with Peter, never like expressing that he was. It's definitely something that under any circumstances, it would be really, really hard to get over. Yeah. But then it also seems like it goes back farther. It does. So it's... This whole movie is like just insane. Layers on layers on layers on layers. Um, There's actually a great quote from Ari Aster as well that said, like, I knew it was going to be divisive in many respects, but I'll admit that I've been surprised by just how deeply some viewers hate the thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of astonished by that. Like, there are people who genuinely hate this movie and I don't understand it. It's definitely not pleasant. I but can I don't, understand it, but I don't feel that way. I guess maybe that's what it is. Is it's that like, I feel complicated about it, but I still feel generally. I mean, like Paul it's a just good really movie. didn't like it, and like that's when true. I was watching it, he just had no desire to watch it with me. Yeah, it is a lot to get through, and I feel like maybe if you're not really, really into that kind of movie, it's not worth. And not everyone likes this type of horror that's like really kind of gritty and dark yeah. and like existential and all that shit. Like some people, when they watch horror, just want to get like a serial killer popping out from behind a curtain trying to stab you with a knife. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a easier-to-process kind of horror because, I mean, they're both, neither of them are ever going to happen. I mean, and in fact, serial killers are more likely to happen than demon possession, but this feels so much more relatable because of all of the, like, really personal stuff Horror that keeps evolving. We've had this conversation before. Yeah. Um, We're in a good time for horror right now. We are, and I think it's just taking that next step right now where it was about like creepy monsters and that didn't get scary they're like okay well what's scarier is like people killing people and like Mm -hmm. okay well maybe that doesn't get scary after a while so then like there's supernatural shit where it's like ghosts and spooky things like that that you can't control and you can't save yourself and then that's like what's comes next and at this point like really fucked up things like this i guess is like what comes up next i mean 
Yeah, it's like that trust being violated and like when you think that you're safe and you're not, but it's like so much more than just like, oh, you think the doors are locked and you're safe at home, but it's like, no, you think you can trust your literal family. Yeah. Or like in Get Out, you think you can trust your like girlfriend who you love. Like, I mean, even you can't really trust yourself because I mean, Tony Collette saws off her own head. That's true. Yeah. So like, she can't even trust like herself or even like in something like us which just came out like the whole concept is their versions of themselves it's you yeah Yeah. so and that's a person who's trying to i haven't watched it yet because i'm I'm not going to give anything away about us you should definitely see it i liked it for the most part but i also was out of the country when it came out so i am we almost went to go see it in columbia to be honest we almost did a field trip to go see us because so many of us wanted to watch it definitely definitely see it uh, tonight we're gonna watch Pet Cemetery. Yep, looking forward to that. I'm curious to see how much they lean on that because it's the same thing. It's like that like family loss and like the loss of a child. I'm guessing it's grief. gonna be um, better than Firestarter. If it's not, I'm gonna leave. Worse than this. Yeah, this is a great movie. I'm hoping it's good. I mean, it's got a good cast. We'll see. But yeah, overall, so what are your final thoughts on Hereditary, Maggie? I think it is a beautiful movie. I think Ari Aster is a master. I don't want to see it for probably another 18 months i'm i'm good <laughs> i also think tony collette like oh God. is just unbelievable in this role she really is and i think it's a bummer that horror movies don't tend to get a lot of oscar love unless they're like super big like get out was like yeah i think she should have been nominated for something for it because she was unbelievable i think she's better than a lot of people nominated i also am very excited to see what alex wolf chooses to do next in his career after the next jumanji movie which he will be in because he was in the first jumanji movie well not the first jumanji movie you know. Oh, I know. All right. So the next movie that we are going to do is Dead Alive. We're going to go splattery on this. And this is also kind of a horror comedy, right? I think so. Which, oh boy, thank God. Thank I goodness. I need a break after that. We have another intense one coming up after that, which we will not mention yet until we uh, <laughs> get to the next one. So it's going <laughs> to, this is kind of our, <laughs> our little oasis of uh, relative chill in between two very intense parent-child relationship films. Why would you do that to me, Maggie? We can move some things around if we find this to be too much. Um, but I'm excited to see it. I haven't seen Dead Alive yet, so I think this will be a lot of fun. I haven't fun. seen Dead Alive either. Um, I'm excited to see it for a good, gory fun. Yeah. So in the meantime, uh, we hope you guys have a great couple of weeks. Um, we'll talk to you soon. Please uh, rate and review us. If you like this podcast, let us know. You can follow us um, on Twitter or on Facebook. We're very easy to find on both of those. Um, and, uh, yeah, so watch some splatter horror. Talk to your family about what you're going through. Um, don't join a cult and don't accidentally make best friends with a cult member. Don't saw off your own head, ideally. Don't tell a total stranger deeply personal facts about your family. And no... Isn't that the whole concept of therapy? Yeah, you don't just meet a therapist in a parking lot and decide to tell her your whole life story. Maybe you don't meet your therapist in parking lots, Maggie. (laughs) Use psychology... (laughs) today's therapist finder rather than just meeting women in parking lots god no i've been going about this all along <laughs> um, um and if you're gonna do an incantation google it yeah just double check you know just make sure i mean this movie came out in 2018 google definitely exists yeah you should check all of the magic before you do it or just don't do magic actually no that's boring do magic. honestly if you aren't willing to put in the research behind what magic you're doing maybe don't do magic you know just like i don't know Talk to a real therapist. They will help you more with your problems than the woman that you met in the parking lot. But hopefully that therapist isn't your husband. Also, don't date your therapist. Really a lot of takeaways. A lot of don't. Don't do anything that anyone in this movie did. Don't emulate Annie from this movie. She makes some bad choices. Um, But have a great couple weeks. We'll talk to you soon. Uh, We love you. Bye, friends. Bye-bye. Mwah.